Uh, we are continuing in our series with Moses. We're traveling through uh, Exodus with Moses. And, um, you know, it's interesting because we have found even in ladies' Bible study, right now we've been going through Joshua, if you are nodding heads, and uh, the, the thing that's really interesting is we're starting to see uh, those parallels in the New Testament um, with things that we're understanding from the Old Testament. And uh, so it's so important for us to know where we're at um, in the Old Testament to to study it, to look at it, and to see how we can apply it uh, to our day. Uh, there's a tendency, just hold on a second, I'm going to try to straighten this. There we go. There is a tendency, if we're not careful as evangelicals, that we stay always in the New Testament. And I think you know that Pastor Mike and I, we try to uh, move around in the scripture and not just stay in one area. Um, and one of our reasons for that is we want the whole counsel of God the whole word of God, not just picking what we like, what we fancy. And as you know, sometimes we do these series and we don't know what we're getting ourselves into. <laughs> and so it's not always intentional, but we find ourselves in, ooh, that's a heavy word that I've got to preach this week uh, because of doing the series. And so today we're looking at this lively debate that Moses is having with God about the mission. And so, first of all, we can see that you can have a lively debate with God. I think sometimes that's good to see. We see that all throughout Scripture, uh, that people that, who have been called debate <laughs> with God. Um, uh, God said, let us reason together. So there is this place where we can ask questions, and we can have doubts, and we can have struggles. I've always said to people, the key is where you bring your struggles, it's not saying that Christians don't have struggles or doubts. The question is, where do you go with them, right? And so I, I thought tonight as we're looking uh, at this with Moses' calling, we all have a calling, and, and that's one of the things that we're going to be dealing with. But I was thinking about our personal calling of when we felt called into ministry. Uh, we were just believers of two months. Mike was two months. I was four months when God called us. Um, and, and we didn't know what was going on. And even when we were saying yes to God, we still didn't know what was going on. I've shared it before. Um, all we could understand at the time was I was going to be working with children uh, in some kind of place, because all I was was a mom home with kids at that point, so that's what God was calling me to. That's all I could see. Uh, and Mike was going to be using a bulldozer down in Africa somewhere, pushing dirt, because that's what he was doing. And uh, that was our understanding at the beginning when we started to say yes to God. And, of course, God opened up his plan for us. And, uh, but I remember, that's one of the things that God reminded me of. I remember the times at the altar, the wrestling with God. Uh, I'm sure people sat in the church and said, oh, there she goes again. Um, you know, I was just back and forth to the altar with God uh, as we dealt with the reality of that call. Um, and for us, it meant selling everything, uh, a whole home that we had, our two children at the time, uh, six and five when we left, um, leaving everything that we knew down to a few suitcases and a trunk and a crate the same size of a trunk, everything, all our earthly possessions, uh, down into hardly anything left. Now, many of you walk into what we have today, but you don't know what we gave up. And I just want to say that God is so good. You can't, you can't outgive God. Uh, 
you make those sacrifices for God, God blesses you above and beyond. And that's not why we do it. I don't believe in that, that, you know, I name it and claim it. But I just want to say that God is faithful to those who are faithful. Amen. So I just shared that a bit because I had those struggles. And, uh, but today we're, we're looking more, not just those called into ministry, amen to that. But the truth of it is we're all called. And we're all called to a vocation. And some people, like us, get to do our, our place of employment is our vocation. Uh, you know the difference when you've had a nurse that has a vocation, uh, a teacher that is following a vocation, a person working in the store that is following their vocation. You know the difference when you're around those kinds of people. You know when other people are just doing the job. And uh, I want a doctor that's got a call on his life the next time I need a doctor right? We can tell the difference. We can see the difference. And so there's this truth that we're all called. And so our scripture tonight is we're following what Pastor Mike did last week, Exodus 3, verse 10, uh, and we're going to 420, but I'm not going to read it uh, in its entirety. I'm going to look at it. We're going to break it up and look at these different questions that Moses had with God. God starts off with Moses and says, let my people go that they may worship me. That's the mission. That's the mission that God is wanting. Do you know, isn't that still true today? That is still God's mission. Let my people go that they may worship me. I couldn't help to think that as we were at uh, that event yesterday at West Isle, all those people, God is wanting those people to worship him. That's why we were there as a presence, uh, as a church, we were there that people would worship him. So Exodus 3 is the passage, starting at verse 10. Pastor Mike did up to verse 9 last week. We included some of mine this week, but anyway, we'll look at it again. Do you know that Moses spent 40 years in the desert, at least, 40 plus? Now, already some of, I was thinking tonight, I know often this can be an older crowd on Sunday night, and if we're not careful, we could say, well, that's for those younger ones. God's calling them. But I've, I've, I'm through that now. I, I don't have to worry about it. Well, remember now, Moses is not a young man. What's that? He's in his ninth decade. He's in his 80s when this call comes. So that's just kind of brings us some heads are shaking. Can you imagine God coming to us in our 80s with this call? And so uh, we see this that, uh, you know, in his, his 40 years in the desert, he's living as an Arab shepherd, and he's settled down to this quiet, comfortable life, a hard work, but comfortable life that he knows as Jethro's son-in-law, and everything is going good, and then God shows up. And he says to Moses, I got bigger plans for you. Are you ready for bigger plans? See, some of us, you know what they say is the biggest problem with our generation now? We like comfort, early retirement, lazy boy, give it to me, and the clicker in the hand, the remote, right? And, and, that's right. And so, uh, so there is this aspect that, that here is Moses coming into that comfortable season of his life, and God shows up. It's like God is taking Moses and putting him as chief and commander in the front lines. He's been called up from the rear ranks. 
And so we can see now that there's this wrestling that happens between Moses and God. Let's just open our uh, message in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time of worship tonight. We thank you for your word, and we pray now that we would uh, heed it and learn from it and apply it to our lives wherever this would fit for us tonight. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you would come. You are the one who brings us and leads us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first question that Moses has is, what me? <laughs> Looking at verse 10 there to 12. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God on this mountain. This dialogue that's going back and forth, we can see that Moses has got his issues, and he brings up his question, and then God responds with an answer. See, it's no longer this hot-headed young Jewish boy raised in Pharaoh's home that in a spur of a moment of anger kills an Egyptian and has to flee. This is now a much older, wiser man who has mellowed out over time. He's been a simple shepherd. Self-confidence is not something that we see here in Moses. There's no self-confidence. And somebody said, quite honestly, self-confidence is not the temper that God uses for people when he calls them. It is when we say, I can do nothing, that we are now able to be used by God. And that's what we see here in Moses' attitude. And so Moses says, Lord, who me? God responds, I will be with you, Moses. God will not send us on any errands without his power to do it. Alone, Moses would fail, but with God, as we know, they could do all things. They were stronger than any enemy. And so then that leads to a second question. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. There's a lot of dialogue. We could spend a whole evening just on these couple verses here. This whole idea that I am that I am Yahweh, the Lord. But what he's really trying to bring out to Moses is Moses is saying, well, who would I go 40 years? I haven't been on the scene and now I'm going to go and they're going to listen to me. What, who am I supposed to say that has sent me? Realize now they've been in the desert, not the desert, but they've been in Egypt working under Pharaoh for 400 years, generation after generation after generation. And uh, it is believed that they had picked up a lot of idolatry. It is believed that they weren't understanding the faith you can imagine now us being christian today and our kids not being around any christian influence in the generations to come for 400 years where they would be <laughs> when it comes to the faith 
scary thought. So these guys are now, they walked into Egypt as friends of Pharaoh and blessed and favored. Now they've been slaves for generations, right? Imagine that. Imagine someone, you know, we just deal with people who are enslaved to an addiction and they come to faith and how you have to help them to understand that they're no longer a slave to that addiction. Imagine people that have been physical slaves for 400 years, generation after generation, how God would want to break that, that mentality, that mindset. And so he reminds them, and I agree with what somebody was saying, the main point here is the God that was before that brought you into Egypt is the same God that's going to bring you out. I'm the same God of your fathers, your ancestors. I'm that same God, that same God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the one that you heard wonderful stories about. I'm that same God. I'm Yahweh, the one who is all-existent, unchangeable. And so that's the one question that Moses has. And then, of course, Moses isn't done yet. He asks another question. What if they won't believe me? <laughs> he seems to be more concerned about the Israelites than he is Pharaoh, if you notice that. And he says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. And this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, but your, put your hand inside your cloak. And so Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak. He said, so Moses put his hand back into the cloak, and when he had took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. That's chapter 4. Now we're moving into verses 1 to 9. So Moses is saying, now what credentials do I have? I haven't been on the scene for 40 years. I have been, uh, I have been one that they only know as a murderer. I have now been a shepherd all these years. I've been out of Pharaoh's court. And like I said, he's not so worried about Pharaoh. Here he's worried about the Israelites, how they're going to receive him. What's he afraid of? Rejection. Oh, that's interesting. Well, we can see ourselves there, can't we? how easily we can be afraid of being rejected. And so he thinks that they're going to see him as an imposter. And so God responds and gives Moses signs. You know, that's something we pray for in revival, is we pray for signs and wonders and miracles that people would believe and see and know that God is alive. And so God is giving Moses signs to kind of show the people I can't imagine. Now, I don't mind snakes as much as I do. I don't like a mouse, but I'll touch a snake. But I'll just figure that one out. Uh, but but um, I don't like anything that hops. Just 
don't put me around anything that hops. Um, but, but this whole concept, you know, like, first of all, isn't that beautiful? And, and I've preached messages on that. What's in your hand? What's in your hand, Moses? That's how God starts with Moses with the signs. And I've often thought, what's in our hands? Is it a wrench? <laughs> right? Is it, is it something uh, to do with the potato harvest? It, what, you know, what, what is it that God, you have in your hand? God says, that's where I want to do the signs and wonders and miracles. Right there. What you use for your work. That, that's a powerful message there. Right there. We don't have time for it tonight. But what's in your hand? What? Amen. What is in your hand? And so Moses has this staff, and God says to him, okay, now I want you to throw it on the ground. I can't even imagine now picking that serpent back up by the tail. We were talking about that last week a little bit. And so as he picks it up by the tail, but you know what's interesting? <laughs> what was Pharaoh's on Pharaoh's headrest? A cobra. And so God is saying to Moses, you have no fear of Pharaoh because you will be able to pick that up and you will have authority uh, over him. And, and then we see that the hand is diseased and then it's taken out again and healed. And so verses 6 to 8 show us that he has all authority over disease and sickness and God will take a very diseased and unclean nation and make it clean again. And then we see that if they don't believe that, the water will turn into blood, the symbol of the blood again in God's word. And blood is the symbol of life. And so he is saying that new life is coming for those slaves. And so Moses has been given powerful signs to persuade the people. Oh, he's not done asking yet. Here's another one. But what about the fact that I'm not a good speaker? See, we think for some of us that gets us off the hook. Oh, pastor, I'm behind the scenes person. I don't like being up front. Oh, don't ask me to say something. Don't ask me to pray out loud. Never. How many times do we hear all that in the church? Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? And who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord, now go? I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So there's again the fear of not being eloquent, the fear of having to have all, again, that uh, what we heard tonight. But everything, we have to be perfect. Well, we're perfectly imperfect. And that's how God uses us, when we're perfectly imperfect. Moses was not perfect. And so he's struggling with this idea that he's slow of speech. Some people have said that they almost wonder if he stuttered, if he had an issue, a speech impediment. But you know, none of this, what he's bringing to God, uh, is enough to neglect the mission. No excuses. That's what I got from this. There are no excuses. And so we can see that the struggle of that, that God has given him the mouth and God has created the tongue and God will give him the words to say. We've heard that in the New Testament, haven't we? Now here's the icing on the cake. Could you just send someone else, God? <laughs> After all that dialogue. I love this because this is real. This is right where we're at, right? It's the real struggle. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Someone else will do it. 
Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. Moses doesn't want to go. For God, this isn't debatable. It's not something to be debated. See, up to this point, God is very patient with Moses. God is very patient with all of his concerns and all of his worries and all of his doubts. And God shares with him, and God has an answer to every one of those issues. I think that's what I was struggling at that altar over and over again, struggling with, needing these answers, and God is answering. But you see, there comes one answer that God will not (laughs) like. Could you send somebody else? I don't want to go. And I, I thought, wow, the anger of the Lord. I was thinking as we've been going through Joshua and and been thinking about the story later on in this, you see, God will put up with struggles and God will put up with doubts, but he will not put up with rebellion and disobedience. There's a price to pay for that. I was thinking of the story about when Israel was supposed to be ready to cross over and they took uh, what the ten, uh, what what the spies came back. They didn't listen to Caleb and Joshua. They listened the negative report, and they decided they were not going. And we know that they paid the price. I think that's when Scripture says of hardened hearts and stiff necks. Because I think the Lord comes knocking and asking us to do something in a particular way, and we just say, "Nope, send someone else, Lord." And so those are only things that we can know between us and the Lord. And so God tells him that now, after the anger, that God will provide someone else to go and uh, be his helper. See, he was supposed to be the sole deliverer. He was supposed to receive that position and the glory that went with that position. Now he will have to share the glory with his brother. But it does say that teamwork is important, as we've been looking in the mornings about doing things together. We see that Moses had a team because God is sending Aaron with him, and in his inadequacy, God is sending someone that's more eloquent, and Aaron will speak, and they are to go, still to go as a team. As we look at this tonight, we expect great leaders to have some more resolve. We expect great leaders to be self-confident and less hesitant, right? That's the kind of people that God calls, so we think. I like what John Golden Gay says, there are few volunteers among the leaders of Israel or leaders of the early church. See, I think we have said that discussion in our church. They said, well, pastor, you got to go ask people. You need to go ask people because if you ask people, they will do it. But nobody feels that they can do it. Well, welcome to the club, the club of misfits, <laughs> that through his power, <laughs> is, is through our weakness, his power is manifested. That's all of us. None of us feel adequate to do any of it. 
That's the truth of it. God doesn't look for people with great confidence and self has. You know, I got to tell you something. Pastor Mike and I have been around, and Pastor Sheila, we've had that conversation, that there are certain times people will come in and they'll say, ta-da, I'm here. <laughs> I'm the best thing since sliced bread. I've been to this church and that church and this church, and I'm the best musician or I'm the best preacher. I would like to share the word of God in the pulpit. And you're like, uh, maybe you should pray about that. Thank you for that. They don't stay in the church very long. They tend to move on to the next church and look for that opportunity. Uh, we, we, I think Pastor Mike shared this story a little while back, but our adopted brother from Brazil, uh, Frank, in, in the church in Oshawa, uh, he has a rule of thumb that before you do anything on the platform, you have to sit in the pew for six months. Because he says, if you're not willing to worship from there, you shouldn't be up there worshiping, leading others into worship. And so there was a gentleman that apparently he approached Frank that way, Pastor Frank, and he was apparently well-known on Christian radio and had led great worship services and was just this personality that people knew. And he showed up at Frank's church and said, I'm here. I want to be used in your church. And Frank says, well, that's great, brother, but you sit in the pew for six months, and then we'll talk about it. And he said, what? He never stayed the six months. He was gone because there were so many churches desiring to have somebody and help that he found a church on the street that was happy to have him. But Frank said, no, if you're not willing to sit for six months and receive, then you're not willing to give. It is the ones who are not confident. It are not the great giants that God tends to call. And so that's why I'm challenging us tonight that we're all called by God. We're all called. We're first of all, as we know, called to salvation, right? God has called us all to salvation. God calls sinners into his kingdom. And we know, as Pastor Mike showed the picture today, it's not like we happen to find God through Jesus. God has already come to us in Christ, and we get to respond. That God is calling us into this relationship with him. I love this idea that we are unholy, imperfect people who in some great wonder now have a relationship with a perfect, holy God. That is mind-boggling. If we can stop long enough and think about that, that is mind-boggling that God would do that. And so God initiates this relationship and we respond to it. This is why we can pray for the lost and our family members. This, this is why, because we're praying, God, you are initiating relationship with them. You are reaching out to them. And now we are called and they're called to respond. And that's what we're praying for, that they will respond. We are called into his kingdom we were much like Moses, an ordinary day, doing our own business, living a boring, mundane life when the light of Christ began to shine on our hearts. John Wesley says, as he went into that meeting that night, my heart was strangely warmed. God set our hearts on fire. As Pastor Mike said this morning, we move from death into life. We move from dark into light. But our reactions can often be like Moses. But yet the Lord patiently teaches his church that his presence is with us. And the same God that was with 
uh, Israel through the ancestors is the same God that is with us through his Holy Spirit tonight. It is in our inability that the light shines the brightest. So God loves to keep his church humble, <laughs> and nothing wrong with that. And so we see that God is calling us into his kingdom, but God calls all of us into his service. Kingdom service, that's our vocation. We're not just called to salvation, we are called to be servants of the Most High God. I'm preaching to the choir, you guys know that. You know, I mean, um, I think there's a terrible disservice that you meet people so many times that are trying to do kingdom work and yet they don't have a relationship with God. They're missing the point. But there's also the other danger that we become children of the kingdom, but we don't think there's anything for us to do. There's the lazy boy again and the clicker in our hand. We want to watch other people do the work of the kingdom. We're all called to do the work of the kingdom. Now, we are in different seasons of our lives, and maybe the work that we did younger we can't do now, but there is still something that God would call us to do. I remember seeing a story of a man in Hamilton who was in his 90s, bedridden on his back <clears throat> in bed, and yet he would uh, knit these bags for Africa. And he was finding, he, would, he knit hundreds of them. They went across on the mission field. Because even laying on his bed in his 90s, he knew there was something God could use him for and make a difference. Oh, we too can resist. We too can doubt. We too can have questions and we can struggle. But I want to challenge you tonight. Has God been asking you to do something? And your answer has been, well, Lord, that's somebody else's job. Or, Lord, get someone else to do that. <laughs> I want to just encourage you tonight. You need to be obedient to what God is calling you to do. And just like Moses, God is calling us all into teamwork. Moses was not to do it alone. He was to go to the elders of the Israelites. He was to bring Aaron along with him. And they did it together, as we're dealing with on Sunday mornings. I was looking for a closing story, and this one came to me right away when I was thinking about this. Don't know if you ever heard of God. Uh, we love this statement. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the, say it again with me, wake up a little. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called, right? We've heard that around. Have you heard of Uncle Bud? Yep, a few of you have. Uncle Buddy Robinson. Uncle Buddy Robinson was born in 1860, and he died in 1942, but yet his legacy still lives on. Uncle Bud Robinson was born in a log cabin in the primitive mountain region of Tennessee. I don't know if you've ever driven through Tennessee and look up in the hills and you see the little cabins still there with two, two rocking chairs and smoke coming up through the chimney. When he was 16, his father died, and his mother sold the little they had, and they moved to Texas. In August 1880, during a camp meeting, he felt deep conviction for his sin and received Christ as his Savior and was gloriously saved. That same night, the Lord called him to preach. Although he had no education and stuttered so badly that he could hardly tell his name, Yet in his first year of ministry, he saw about 300 conversions 
in his meetings. Do you know they say he stuttered so bad that the only person before he entered in ministry could understand him was his mother. The 60 years of his ministry were given to evangelism. While lacking formal education, he never had any education whatsoever. Uncle Bud had a wisdom all his own. He was very witty, and people would love to come and hear him preach. During his long ministry, now listen to this, it is estimated that Uncle Bud traveled over 2 million miles, preached over 33,000 sermons, witnessed more than 100,000 conversions, personally gave more than $85,000, that was a lot of money back in those days, in helping young people with their Christian education. Though he was not educated, he paid for other young pastors to be educated and wrote 14 books and sold more than 500,000 copies. Do you know it was said that uh, Herald, the Herald of Holiness, it wasn't called that back in that day and other things. He didn't know where to put commas and periods, so he would just write. And then at the end, he would put all these dots and commas and say, put them wherever you want. Because <laughs> he was not educated. And yet he wrote books and sold 500,000 copies. Figure that one out. Yeah, somebody edited his books, I'm sure. Because it would have been one sentence that just ran on for the whole book. In spite of his handicaps and physical ailments, speech impediment, and lack of education, he made it to the who's who of California. From Boston to Los Angeles, thousands thronged to hear him. Charmed by his homespun wit, and his unique presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this prayer. This was the prayer he would pray daily. Oh, Lord, give me a backbone as big as a saw log and ribs like sleepers under the church floor. Put iron shoes on me and galvanize breeches and hang a wagon load of determination in the gable end of my soul and help me to sign the contract to fight the devil as long as I have vision and bite him as long as I have tooth and then gum him till I die. Amen. <laughs> See, God, God just looks for the people that are available. So don't, you know, Pastor Mike was saying about what he shared this morning, and I guess in a way it's somewhat connected, even as we heard, little is much when God is in it. God is looking not for the great people. He's looking for the available people. Bring your struggles, bring your questions, bring your concerns, but make sure that your answer is yes, Lord, send me. Here I am. I'll go. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this word of Moses. We thank you that Moses was a real man <laughs> with all kinds of issues, all kind of uh, imperfections and struggles. Lord, we thank you in your word. It seems that as you called many, Jonah ran. <laughs> Gideon kept putting out fleeces to want to make sure that he wasn't making a mistake. It, 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 if we look in your word, there's the reality of people struggling when you came knocking. Often the angels would say, fear not, when an angel came and approached because, Lord, honestly, we really don't see ourselves doing much for your kingdom. But, God, we thank you tonight that you see us doing great things for you. And you're going to ask us tonight what's in our hands. What is it that we do day in and day out and throughout the week? 
What is it that seems so simple, but yet, Lord, you're wanting to take that and use it for the furthering of your kingdom right here in West Prince? For some of us, it is mentoring someone younger. It is pouring our love and the word of God into our children and grandchildren. There's many ways, oh God, that we can spread your kingdom here right in West Prince. And I pray for those that have heard you knocking in the middle of the night, that have been sharing things to them, what they could do. And God, some might have been fighting your call, your vocation for their lives. I pray tonight, Lord, that we would settle the question and say, Lord, here I am. Send me. We give you all the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're going to sing this closing song, and then we'll move into our time of prayer as the worship team comes.